Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. This week's episode features a conversation with Molly Gosline. Molly is the coordinator of Social Emotional Learning, or SEL for short, at Adelaide E. Stevenson High School, located in Lincolnshire, Illinois. She works there within the professional learning community to build an SEL culture. She is the executive director of SEL4IL, which is a social emotional learning alliance for Illinois, and she's also the founder of SEL School Consulting. Molly earned her master's in education in the risk and prevention division of the Human Development and Psychology program from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. She's currently a doctoral student in the Mid-Career Education Leadership Program at the University of Pennsylvania. Without further ado, we'll get right into our conversation about social emotional learning with Molly. All right, so if you if we could go back a little bit, you mentioned that you were in grad school out in Cambridge, Mass. Correct. And it was during that time that I was introduced to some theory behind risk and prevention, which was the concepts that um, really developed sort of interventions in schools. And I, I worked as a school counselor for about 10 years after that um, program. And during that time, what I really saw is that that intervention was almost too late, mm-hmm. um, that that if we're going to work with students and build relationships, it should come before an intervention is needed. And so that whole prevention idea of the program I was in was actually called risk and prevention. And I remember thinking there has to be something to um, prevention that can inform better schools and what does that look like, right? And so at the time, a lot of uh, bullying, um, sort of anti-bullying programs were coming out. It was around 2004, 2005, when I started thinking about social emotional learning as like an in inroads into schools and what can that look like in schools? And the sort of national organization, CASEL, um, yep. out of Chicago, right? Um, had their framework. I mean, they've had it for 20 years. So it had already existed. They had, um, a castle stands for the collaborative for academic, social, emotional learning, and they developed, uh, you know, a framework that was, um, uh, conceptual, um, but it wasn't an action framework for schools. So while schools knew about it, they didn't really engage with it because it just didn't have a place to fit into right. a school. And so I started a consulting company back then and um, so uh, around school climate. So all kinds of issues around school climate and social emotional learning was one of the things that I was trying to trying to really kind of formulate, like, where does this fit in a school? And um, and I worked with schools for a while, um, developing positive school climates and safe school climates and sort of all of the the actionable things we knew how to do. And kind of during this time, I was trying to figure out how do we do SEL, right? Yeah. And um, so were other, so were many other schools. And so when I applied to the, um, the social emotional learning coordinator position at Stevenson, at Adelaide Stevenson High School here in Illinois, it was one of the first schools in the country that had an administrative level SEL position. And yeah, the only other school in the country that had a a position at that time was Boston Public Schools. And interestingly, I knew the person who got that role. And so he and I connected that first year. 
I'm, and I was asking, well, what are you going to do? And he's asking, well, I don't know. <laughs> what are you going to do? And so I decided to really bring that conceptual framework of Castle and, and create an action, uh, an actionable framework for our practitioners, um, right. our faculty members to use. And so that's kind of how I've developed this role. Now this is my sixth year there and we have a roadmap and we have student voice data collection and mm-hmm. we have, um, you know, a process in which we build high leverage teaching practices. We present to the school board every month on SEL. Like we've really sort of taken off in terms of um, really figuring out where SEL can exist, not just in our teaching and learning spaces, but school-wide. I love, first of all, I love that term. How do we do SEL? It's such, because you're, you're so spot on. I, I've noticed the same thing, I think. Um, I think a lot of folks are convinced that social emotional learning is important. If for no other reason, you know, there's like an ethical component to it that people can pretty quickly get on board with. But, but even like, you know, just from a school climate, preventing concerns instead of having to manage them or intervene once they arise is just a powerful idea that absolutely comes from culture. So you mentioned you had an actionable framework. Um, I, I want to hear, if you can, a little bit about that and especially uh, the student voice data collection component, because, you know, th- th- those are two big pieces that I think would very much help to make that castle work actionable. Absolutely. So I actually just pulled it up on my computer so I can see our uh, SDL action framework. And uh, we've titled it um, building an SEL culture within curriculum instruction and assessment. And one of the reasons we started at Stevenson in teaching and learning in that space is because it has lived uh, kind of solely in the counseling space. Hmm, and right. right. And that's not where the majority of students live and breathe during a school day. And if we're only assigning a culture building process to a portion of a school that students, that some students only sometimes <laughs> um, right. enter into, we're, we're really not changing our culture, nor are we building skill sets for every student. And so um, we decided to start in the classroom. And what we, what we learned really when we started this process, I, I know you're familiar with Stevenson, but one of the things we do as a professional learning community is we invite every month educators from around the world actually have shown up um, at our school for a site visit um, day. It's actually turned into a two-day event. So every month we get, I don't know, a hundred or so educators that come through. And one of the sessions is social emotional learning. And so I have to talk about what we're doing. And I really learned in these moments where people were eager to see, okay, how does, you know, this great school like Stevenson quote unquote do SEL and I'd, I'd be presenting out. And what I realized in those conversations with educators from around um, the nation is, first of all, we don't even have, we're not even using common terminology when we're talking about oh my goodness. SEL, right? And so some people are calling it social emotional learning, some social emotional wellness, social and emotional needs, social emotional health, just social emotional because they don't know what else to add to it. And so... I realized in that space that while social emotional learning is is the is the most important part of 
um, this work because learning is what matters, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, schools exist for learning to happen in whatever context that means. And so our culture is built around that major component that social emotional learning is what matters. And then we, um, we built our own definition of it because again, you can Google social emotional learning and find a variety of, of definitions. And so the school, you know, we took six months, had all teacher input, student input, and we created a, a definition. Well, from that definition came, if this is social emotional learning, what are the others? What is wellness, health? Can I, can I, are you going to share what that definition is? Sure. Uh, Social emotional learning uh, is uh, how it exists at Stevenson is we, through curriculum instruction and assessment, build students social skills so we can help them access their emotional intelligences to become better learners. Great. I love it. And I think, and, and I love it because I think where you were just about, I didn't mean to cut you off, where you're then leaning toward is, is how to bring the mantra to life. And are you living that mission? Exactly. And how do we make it a culture? How right. do we build this culture? So it's not a thing, right? Some mm-hmm. of, again, I always learn from our site visitors. I would hear, you know, often at the beginning of my session, which was only an hour long at the time, I'd ask, and how many of you are already, you know, SEL is familiar and, you, you know, 90% of the group raised their hands. Right. And yeah. they, then what I'd learn over the next 10, 15 minutes when we were sharing out is we do five minutes of SEL every Monday morning, yeah. or we have an SEL class where once a week, our health teacher comes in. And so right. there are these random acts of SEL yeah. <laughs> that People were, you know, kind of saying, well, this is because no one's again, no one has provided an actionable framework. I'm not I'm not criticizing anyone. Um, We're all trying to figure this out. Again, Castle provided this conceptual framework, but it was, you know, we can't wait for schools to use this and figure it out kind of thing. Yeah. And so um, what I learned is that it needs to be integrated and it needs to be integrated throughout the school. So, again, we started with the learning, the classroom teachers. And then when we went to the other terminology and, and really fleshed those out and, and learned what those concepts referred to around, for example, wellness is more of a holistic approach, right? When you're working with students around sleep, around taking care of their nutritional needs, yeah. um, balancing their lives, right? coming to school ready to learn sort of those spaces in our school do exist and we need to create a structure for those systems to also work so there's kind of like wheels working together around Stevenson where every single faculty member has a part in building this culture so our classroom teachers you know again they're they're in this social emotional learning space our counselors are in the social emotional wellness space, our social workers are in the social emotional needs space. We've, we've really filled and each space has a student voice data collection set. And what that student voice data helps us do is inform the kind of work that we need to be doing to grow our students' SEL skill sets. I, I love it. And I want to hear more about that before we get into that part. I just want to reflect on one thing you said that was so profound and honest and accurate, which is we don't even have a common language for this stuff. And that's a stopping point. And I think what people don't realize is um, 
I've found this to be true that sometimes when you're doing good work, the fact that it feels good is enough. And maybe that is the case. You know, maybe I'm overthinking it. But if you want to do good work well, if you want to do good work uh, over uh, the life of a career or, or good work that, that can be replicated or, you know, good work that can be good for many, you know, then, then really looking closely, um, consolidating terms, getting on the same page with everyone, doing what it took you all six months to do, which is, which is essentially creating a purpose statement to, to rally around. That's that for anyone who's trying to do SEL, that's got to be step one, in, in my opinion. And you're obviously you're flying the flag. You're doing it so well. Uh, and, and the reason is, you know, these things that would fall under the realm of SEL grit might be one of the most popular SEL terms. Is that fair? At least after Angela Duckworth. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, I don't, and we didn't hit record yet, but you're you're working on another another graduate program at Penn, which is where Angela is lab is housed um and 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 grit has this now highly developed body of research there's a book out on it there's there's countless journal publications she's got i think she's got at least one ted talk out there and 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 what she's done is she's defined at least that component of sel i think i'm speaking very optimistically because we can poke holes in anything if we want or examine deeply anything that we want but but she's at least giving a framework for people to pick up and run with. I say that because I still hear operating primarily in the athletic setting, the word grit tossed around. We got to make our kids gritty. We got to teach grit with, with maybe if you, if you pulled a thousand coaches on what grit is, I bet you'd get a dozen who dig deep and read, read the book and might be able to get something along the lines of passion, perseverance for long-term goals. But the rest of them would, would have their own sort of manufactured definition no judgment. And I, I say that on this podcast and in my work all the time, there's no judgment from, from our, there's only assessment. You know, there's belief that the people who are in the space are trying to do well in the space. There's the belief that folks who are trying to teach SEL are doing so for the right reasons. And this is ultimately a good, but it's just, it will gum up the process and slow down the work. If we can't, if we all agree that we want to coach grit, coach teach for grit, but we, but we can't agree on what it is. And however, could we develop, like you say, a, a roadmap or a process to do so? And however, could, how could we ever check our work? You know, did you know, did we know if it's working? Right. That's right. So anyway, I just think that's a really important point. So um, and then in, in, in part of this, so you've done all that work and you say then that you collect uh, student voices to make sure that that you're hearing from from the student body. What does that look like? It's been a critical component of our process, actually, because, again, after that sort of defining, you know, um, space, when we created definitions for the terminology that supported our work, we wanted to build a common language. That was the next part of our process. We have to just like you alluded to, we have to be using um, the same words um, school wide so students understand um, the outcomes of the language that we use. So they have goals to meet, right? If, if we're not talking, if we're, again, to use your example, grit, um, if we're talking about resilience, for example, in the same context as grit, we're losing, we're losing some of the value of the original terminology that you use. Right. It's kind of watering down our attempts. And, and that's been, I think, one of the biggest, um, I don't know, fault is the right word, but, um, uh, you know, kind of issues with SEL right now is that, you know, everything is SEL, you know, yoga in the classroom is SEL and, right. you know, 
it, it can become so watered down. Um, so our intentionality around building a common language is to tighten up um, what we say so yeah. that our students can follow not only class to class, but year to year in Stevenson and grow towards the skill sets that um, Castle has identified. So we decided that if we're going to build a common language, it better include student voice because it needs to be relevant, right, to issues that they care about um, and what they also feel they need work on. So we partnered with a company called Panorama Ed. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, They create, they actually are a a survey company that um, only, that created only SEL surveys. They didn't start with, screeners, for example, um, and, and transitioned to SEL because SEL became a hot topic. They started with SEL surveys and, and we at Stevenson currently, well, we, we offer three of their surveys and our athletic, our athletic director, um, actually created for Panorama, our student athlete survey wow. because they didn't offer it. So we have, uh, four surveys um, that we administer throughout the year at, at various times to, to different groups of students who all get a, multiple chances to contribute their voices. And again, those packets that we've already identified, the teachers, uh, the coaches, the counselors, they all get the data on their students, like mm. their, uh, their closest data to them. So they can see, hey, if you're a teacher and you have 80 students, this is what my 80 students are saying. But yeah. what's also really helpful with this data set is that we can not just see it um, disaggregated to our students, but we can work our way up to school-wide data. So if you're on an English team where you teach freshman English, and maybe there are four other teachers who teach freshman English, you can see the aggregate of your team data. So hmm. then you can start to compare like, wow, your scores and relationships are like off the charts where mine are so low, like, can we share some practices? That's and then so you can also cool. see the division data. You can compare it with the rest of Commerce. So the other 40 English teachers in our school, right? Hey, what does my data look like compared to the rest of the Commerce team? And then school-wide. And then what Panorama also offers is a national benchmark. Yeah. So we can see per topic, like grit is actually a topic. Um, we can see how we... Um, sort of where we fit along yeah. other high schools around the country. And in, 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 in is that mostly anonymous or like if, if there's a high school who's crushing it, could you reach out to them as well? The national bank benchmarks aren't, yeah, aren't shown, aren't anonymous. Okay. But in house, um, you could find the, the folks who are doing it well in house, right? Yeah. So, right. So I, because it's, uh, I help, I'm on the data team that, um, that coordinates with the company, our data sets, um, the only faculty, the only people in the school that get to see down, drilled down to each student are the counselors. So they have their student data as part of their, their 200 students that they see their caseload, I guess they call it. Yep. So they'll have student data, but our teachers don't see individual data. They only see what their students per period say gotcha. in the aggregate. That makes sense. Um, can, I'm going to ask a potentially rude question. How much does it cost? It's a sliding fee. So it depends on your school's budget. And um, so we, you, you get assigned a client manager and I've worked with a client manager for the whole five years we've, we've worked with them um, and we negotiate every two years, um, you know, what our rate is. So 
I know we're a huge school. We have 4,400 students, 350 right. teachers. You know, our rate will be vastly different than a small rural high school. So I don't. Totally fair. If, if I, cause I definitely don't want to, yeah, I don't, we don't have to open up the books of Stevens in high school, but can I ask, uh, hypothetically, we've got a, say we've got a smaller school, 300 total or maybe 300 people in the athletic department. If you had to guess, and, and ultimately I'm asking because is this, I mean, this is magnificent. Is this cost prohibitive? Would, would, you know, yeah, I, I so I honestly don't know. The contracts don't come to me, so I'm not I'm not gotcha. hiding this information. But um, yeah. what, I, what I do know in working with Panorama is that there are rural schools in North Dakota using this company. So okay. uh, there are schools in urban, you know, LA uses it, um, Boston, yeah. as well as rural school districts. So I know that they must meet the needs based they on be flexible. They want to be flexible. Exactly. And what's great now is with the ESSA funding and the CARES Act and Title II, actually, you can use those funds to collect student voice because it's part of social emotional learning. I'm really interested in that. Well, we can talk more about that uh, off camera, but because that, that that sounds that sounds meaningful and that really is taking it to a next the next level, which is uh, once we name it, create a roadmap for it, teach it. You know, now can we, it, it's like you, you have to start with an accurate three mile view and get closer and closer and closer to ultimately get good at doing SEL. And uh, I just, you know, just <clears throat> from for briefly, theoretically, I'm, I'm just imagining why one of the reasons why this has been, you know, like you say, you know, Castle has been around for 20 years. Why has this been hard to implement? Would you agree that, uh, you know, I, I know I've, I've run into some experienced teachers and coacher, coaches who who feel like this stuff is happening anyway, kind of. And I think it's probably true that, that some folks just by natural disposition or, you know, whatever their teaching style might be, are doing the work of SEL, broadly speaking, um, without having names for it. You know, that there are some folks who are doing it well. Um, I also, so I think that might be the case, you know, why would I dig into this further? It's already happening, you know, then there's this other side of the of the room uh, that I've noticed. And I'm looking to hear what your, your advice for these folks might be, which is, uh, and I'll go to athletics specifically. Hey, look, I'm trying to win games. Um, this stuff is too soft. Uh, is there, you know, and and they're not asking for research, but I think one of the things that that they might think is that, uh, you know, what really is it doing? You know what I mean? Which from, from our perspective, we try to equip people with a little bit of the data, like how, how this impacts performance on a variety of levels. But what, what would you say um, to that second group who think maybe, you know, and, and I, I will, I'll add this too. The concept of soft skills, I, I get it. And I'm, I'm like allergic to it. You know, I, I don't like that we name these things soft skills. I think it, I think we speak to only a very specific audience. We do. I think the audience who we might want to really, really speak to would, would not like that term. Um, so how do you talk I, to I that? Don't, yeah, I don't like that term. Yeah. Um, so first of all, let me just to say my hour session has turned into a half day session when I talk about SEL Stevenson. Ah, so I love it. Fantastic. Answering your questions and like, how much time do I have kind of format? Because everything you were just talking about, there's so much depth to right those issues. And I, and again, I mean, I'm so fortunate. I meet teachers from all over and um, you know, 
I just really want to address that first group you were talking to, which a lot of teachers, you know, I already do this. I'm a great teacher. I get great feedback and I've been ranked high and, you know, um, I'm, you know, an expert teacher in my content area. What we really learned at Stevenson is we have a lot of expert teachers, just like many schools do, is that very few of them took any courses in adolescent psychology. Very few of them took any courses in human development. Mm -hmm. Very few of them know uh, much about the teenage brain and how it's not even formed, right? Fully formed. And so when we started to work with teachers, we had, and this is shown through research, the more explicit you make SEL in the classroom, the more students learn those skills. So just through like being a great person or a great teacher, that doesn't necessarily grow skill sets. The language has to be explicit and the strategies have to be thoughtful, intentional, purposeful, and um, very uh, uh, class-wide, very explicit. And so when I you know, talk with teachers, often at the high school level, you know, teachers identify themselves. I'm a math teacher. I'm an English teacher. I teach AP physics, whatever, is we really turn the tables and helps, um, again, common language. Um, I teach students math. I, right, putting the students first. So I'm not a math teacher. I teach students math. The content only goes through a human being. So yeah. if we skip over the human being side and it's all about content, there's a lot missed. And so really framing that for that first group that thinks they're great. And I would not disagree um, because I've seen it and we have it is when you reframe it, that you're, that humans come before content, it changes delivery. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Keep going. All right. So the second group you. Oh, I'm sorry. Before you keep going, I'm sorry. I, I just I can't let this go. I'm trying to take notes so I don't forget. But this is just so point. It's Friday night as we record this. It's football season. I'm only imagining if a football coach or a team of a group of coaches could say something like, uh, you know, you, you hear about life lessons taught through sport. I am of the opinion that some perhaps some kind of life lesson is taught but it's not the kind that's going to lead to lifelong success sports gone wrong is a daily headline there's power in your environment but you've got to be as you say very explicit i wonder if a whole group of coaches get on board with the idea of saying i am i am a teacher of life lessons through football i'm a teacher you know i'm teaching young people life lessons through soccer whatever it is instead of i'm a soccer coach assuming that the the life lessons are an automatic byproduct of their engagement with you which is, is sort of a coin toss and, and the research would suggest is not happening with at least not with the staying power that, that one might suppose. That's really right. And our, our coaches, again, when they get their, their student voice feedback back, these are a lot of the conversations that they have. And, um, you know, our students should know this. We're all about teamwork. How do they know you're all about teamwork? How does that show up explicitly? How many times do you use the words you matter on this team? How, how, how yeah. many times does that come out of your mouth? I'm glad you're here today. Right. Um, you know, these are the skill sets we're, we're looking at when we talk about teamwork, A, B, and C. Have, yeah. Are those talked about? Is there some sort of verbal connection between the physicality of the sport that you're teaching so that there's reflection yeah. on what you're doing is part of not only a bigger goal for the team, but a growth opportunity in yourself. 
and to take athletics or AP physics, you know, or anything to that level is where we're going to see growth around social skill development and feeling that our emotional intelligences are just as important as our academic ones. No doubt. And then in in the way that you just outlined, doesn't that then also lead to the greatest amount of transfer? You know, and that's one of the things that I think, like, again, I'll I'll reflect on sports specifically, but, you know, I think we're probably teaching things similar to grit and resilience and perseverance. We're probably teaching things and teamwork in sports pretty regularly. But unless we're being explicit about it, like you say, not only is it very possible that the learning moment will sort of come and go, uh, but the likelihood that it will then transfer to some other area of life that goes down. And, you know, and again, I, I keep reflecting on this question. Do sports teach life lessons? Well, one term that I've, I've shared with a lot of the athletes, you know, sometimes we work with athletes post-career or in the, especially in the midst of transitioning from athlete to general population is, you know, you talking about some more football guys, myself included, you, you can't full back a boardroom. You know, so is the toughness that you learned in that way, is it as transferable as as you thought? I, I, I'm with you 100 percent, but not unless you're teaching it explicitly. And here's how that toughness comes into play. And here's down the road. This is something that I, I'm kind of inventing as we talk here. Could there be like, uh, you know, uh, exit surveys that essentially say, like, how can you use some of these things in the next stage of your career? Where will grit come into play down the road and, and get them the, the wheels sort of turning and, and Projecting forward. Let me also say that there's another thing. I can't tell you for the past five years or so how many times I've heard a coach say, Well, they know what I meant by that. Right. You know what I mean? And and again, and and this is <clears throat> for all coaches listening, we're in this work because we're on the side of coaches. This is not meant to be critique. It's just a recognition that that you, you, they probably don't mean know what you meant. Oh, you know, you might you're working with a 15-year-old. Um, they don't, you, you must be explicit. So thank you for acknowledging that. And not just explicit, but often and, yeah. and continual language. And I use this analogy often when I, when I talk, um, you know, with people coming in to learn about, um, SEL, I'm not a parent, but many of my friends are, and, um, it's continuous when they have teenagers, as they walk out the door to say, I love you be careful driving, right? Be safe. I love you, right? It's it's not just that you say that once as a parent to your teenager right. and a week or two later, you think, well, they should remember because I told them yeah. it's part of our family. We drive safe. No, I right? told you three months ago that I love you. Come on. <laughs> so I, I think when, you know, when you think of it that way, if we're a supportive community that students come into every day, yeah. and if your team your students are there two, three hours a night for practice. They travel on the weekends. Like they're an extension, you know, we call it our Patriot family, you know, at Stevenson, they're an extension of their own family and with trusted adults and peers that they need to rely on. What's the terminology that's fitting in these spaces. And that's where we go back to. um, And I'm looking at our survey right now for our athletes is you matter. You are, you are an important part of this team, Right. Um, and you know, we talked about Panorama Ed before our survey company, but honestly, um, you can create exit surveys on Google Forms, and Google Forms give great analytics. Yeah. yeah. So as a, as a team of leaders in your school or coaches or your athletic director, 
you know, what are questions that are important to you that you want to know the answers to about, about teaching and about coaching. And actually our, our athletic director, when we put our survey together, picked four topics that she felt were critical to learn about how our students perceive their athletic experience. Yeah. One was team climate. And there are several questions that explore um, that topic, such as, um, you know, by participating in the sport, how connected do you feel to the school community? Um, how positive or negative is the energy on this athletic team, regardless of wins or losses? So that's the sort of team climate. And there, again, there's several more questions under that topic. But a second topic is coach-athlete relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So is this a, a safe relationship? Um, you know, how respectful is this coach to you? Um, if you came back after graduation, how excited would your coach be to see you? Just so, those sort of questions to sort of gauge that, that level of, of relationship building that's going on. The third topic is team belonging, right? Again, so we know that the more students feel that they belong, the more invested they are in right. being successful in that space. And so we ask students, how much respect do you give each other? Do students on this team show you? How connected do you feel to this program? How do you know, how do you, how much do you feel like you belong to this program? And then finally, the fourth topic, you know, honestly was pedagogical effectiveness, right? Like, is your coach a good coach? <laughs> like, how, you know, uh, how well does um, uh, participation in the sport um basically help you make responsible decisions? Um, how well does participation in the sport support a healthy um, emotional balance? Um, how much have you learned from this coach about this sport? Um, how often does the coach give you personal feedback that helps you learn? So it's not just about the sport that helps you learn, yeah. right? And and then students reply, our coaches get the the, the analytics back. And they, we, we dialogue about it. I mean, collecting data is the first step, but yeah. really being open, vulnerable to dialoguing about what you get back from students can really inform how you approach your, co your, your coaching or your teaching. So I, I got to tell you, so you've got, you've got a clear mission. You've got a clear purpose. You've got a set of goals. You've got a process. You've got a roadmap. You've got data collection that contributes to feedback and further discussion and reevaluation. I, I hope what people listening to this will, will realize is that uh, social emotional learning is it's a uh, it's an essential what I it's an essential subject area that you can't just hand over. You know, and, and one thing that I find in, in workshops and interventions is and maybe not so much with the folks we, that we work with directly, but people want sort of the answer. Oh, totally. They want, just, just tell me how to do it right. and I'll do it. We had that even at, at my school, right? I mean, yeah. we have, you know, again, we have excellent teachers and um, learning something um, new to them, they're more than ready to do it. But um, it's just, you know, hey, if you know how to do this, I'll, hey, I'll do it a hundred percent. Just show me yeah. how. The, the problem with SEL right now is it lives in a theoretical space. And yeah. while the theory and the research and the investments have shown that there is growth, the how-to yep. um, is still, um, you know, uh, living sort of in a world of programs and set curricula. Yeah. And 
we know is those aren't readily transferable. And it has to be context specific. And I think, that, so that's why that's, and that's, a, that's at the very heart of the Good Athlete Project. We, and, and this will map on directly. We, we set out saying like, you know, it's not, we're not the good athlete shoe that can promise you to run faster and jump higher. It's not a specific boxed product. Uh, what it is an, is an approach. And, you know, we often consider ourselves a sort of a boutique consulting organization within um, athletics and education. And, and that's it. There's not an answer. There's an approach. And it, it through this approach and, and, gathering data and feedback and evaluating evaluation, then you can begin to construct prevention. Uh, you can begin to create culture, intervene where necessary. You can do these things in a way that might actually be effective. And I, I Molly, to share completely, I would say that one of the things that has really pushed us in this work is a resistance. Uh, all of our team is, you know, has some foot in the athletic world, either current coaches, former players, all, all those kind of things a resistance to that topical version that you, you know, that we're kind of talking about here, which is, you know, it's not just be positive all the time. Right. That's not, that's not really what social emotional learning looks like uh, anyway. But so I like that idea though, that there's, there's not a box answer. There's an approach and there's an yeah. approach and it's a process. And, you know, again, when we kind of talk about, we don't say we do SEL, Right. right. Just like we don't do equity. This right. this is work. This is called work. We don't just do a thing and right. check the box right. uh, that you'd mentioned soft skills before. That's another term that's not in our common vocabulary. We're not allowed to use that Yeah, and that's yeah. because my my version is it's actually a really hard skill. Love it. And so if we're if we're not going to acknowledge that there's a reason there isn't a silver, you know, lining or a, a product that everyone wants. It's because it needs to be cultivated within your school community. It needs to be authentically developed with the people who live there and the people yeah. who breathe that air every day. And if you're not willing to do that work and you just want to have your five minutes of SEL, that's fine too. Again, I, I'm, with, I'm with you, no judgment. Yeah. Um, um, but I, we believe in a really authentic approach and we're taking the time to build it. And again, I'm in my sixth year and so, you know, we're only, all of our teachers aren't even, you know, engaged in, in all, that whole roadmap yet, right? We still have some, right. some beginners. So this is an ongoing, we get new students every year, right? And we just yeah. keep keep learning and keep growing with the new students. So who knows what our student voices will be saying in four years from now, four years away from this pandemic could be you know, a whole new insight oh, yeah. into what schools need to be doing. Well, it, it, it's so insightful. And it reminds me, I'm glad that you're there doing that work with that approach. So I, congratulations, Patriots, good hire. Because uh, it's just like, you know, I think, I think we want to get it right just as a, as a species. We want to get it right. We want to feel like we got it. And then when you do, you want to hold it. You know, and, and, and there's we're never going to get to that point. And, and I and I think of similar fields. I think of education as maybe, you know, OK, medicine, education, um, tech, depending on how it's applied. You know, they're, they're all sort of jockeying for top position. I, I would say that education is the most important field out there. What's the difference sometimes between education and fields like medicine and tech? Uh, sometimes not in your place, not with your approach. Uh, it, it gets it gets stagnant. It holds on to the thing that once works and it doesn't do the work it takes to evolve. And in no other field would that be appropriate. Right. And, 
And and again, I just I keep sort of giving this this disclaimer. I am not, you know, so many people are doing this, you know, countless millions are doing this really, really, really incredibly well. And I think, um, but even then, you know, if, if we're getting it 70% right, that's not enough either. So it, it's important to keep charging forward in this effort. All right, I got to come back to a question I said before, which was, because uh, this is this is really important in sports, especially for, for the folks who might be resistant to this concept, to incorporating SEL into their their plan or their approach because they're so focused on maybe performance-based outcomes. Uh, what sort of messaging would you have for them? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would encourage um, them to, first of all, uh, learn what social emotional learning is in its truest sense um, and how building better humans builds better outcomes in any form. Yeah. And why would sports be any different? That That's my question. Um, again, our, our theater, you know, kids, our theater group, you know, same thing. They, they're learning teamwork, life skills, confidence, you know, all the things similarly, right. To athletics. Um, so I don't think it's dependent on your area of work with youth. I think it depends on your belief that there's something before prevention. And we talked a little bit about that idea of risk and prevention and prevention and intervention and really to fill it out, it the the role really comes from mental health, which is prevention, intervention, postvention, right? So, yep. prevention is 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 preventing something that you, you you see happening. Intervention is is in the middle of it happening to try to to pivot and get away from it. And postvention is after it happened to heal, right? Yep. I believe that SEL is pro-social. It comes before prevention, and if we can live in a space where we create opportunities that come before prevention is even needed like how awesome a space to live for our students to know they have that efficacy to build these skill sets where adults are on the same page that, that they can, they can do this in their lives. I, I love that. Yeah. And I would, and to any coach who, you know, cause I'll get this and I try to avoid Twitter battles or anything like that, but every now and then some, you know, something will pop up and, and I, I try to, yeah, and, and the and the critique would be like, oh, well, the world's not that flowery. That's too idealistic. I get it. I don't think that's what you're suggesting. That's certainly not what we are suggesting. Part of this includes, like you mentioned, grit and resilience and things. Part of it includes the ability to get through the tough stuff. Yeah. You know, exactly. so it's not all flowers and hugs. No. Um, yeah. But, but the lessons that someone can learn on a team can help them save their own lives. Oh, yeah, we can bring it down to the basics of of helping prevent youth suicide. If students know that they have capacity and they have people who are helping them get out of the space they're in because they have confidence in them and they can use the language that's supportive and mindful that that to me is is what's really why wouldn't we be engaged in this work? Why wouldn't we? hundred percent. And and you know what is? I'll I'll shed a little insight into how we how we operate because it, it reminds me of the, your approach as well. We try to get coaches to be explicit about what they're trying to do on the front end of our our engagement with them. Um, you know, it, so if they say something like our purpose is to teach life lessons, if we can get them, it, it you know, it's actually uh, uh, Dean Jim Ryan, former former dean of of Harvard Graduate School of Education, uh, you know, he, he used this quote, I don't remember 
when he did, but it was, is couldn't we agree as a, as a starting line to a sense, like, couldn't we agree that blank in, in the, with the example you just used, couldn't we agree that even if all we do is, is prevent, you know, the loss of life, which, which sounds dramatic, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a positive thing? Even all, couldn't we all agree that um, a more mentally healthy group of, of, of kids is, is a, is a, is a positive outcome. And then and you, and you continue to build. And the more you can get the whole group to say, yeah, we're on board with that. Then we found, then that reflective process becomes, um, I, I was about to say easier. It's not, like you say, it's not easy is not the right word, but it becomes more clear because then you get, you get people and I'm telling you, you can see the wheels turn when, yes. when you know, because they're like, oh, maybe, maybe that doesn't map on to this outcome that I suggested and whether they're willing to engage with it fully and re-examine their behavior. But, but at least we, we, we can encourage that bit of reflection. Uh, yeah. And, and even when I break, I, I try not to call this work SEL because yeah. even that, I think when we need to break that apart and yeah. I was talking to a coach and I would break that apart and say social skill development, they'd be like, yeah, we're all yeah. over that. Or, you know, access to their emotional intelligences. One of those emotional intelligences is yeah. based in, you know, resilience, the idea of I have capacity. So once we break it apart and social skill development, emotional intelligence is learning, every coach would say yeah. yes. And so what I push is for if you're going to say, I'm teaching life lessons, yeah. name them. Which ones? Which yeah, three? No, right. Yeah. Like I don't. I'm not judging. I'm asking. And and if you say For them, sure. have a plan as to how teaching those looks like, because yeah. that's what students hear, right? That's what they will take away. It has to be that explicit, and it's not. It's not. I don't want to say it's not that hard because I think the hard part is using terminology that we're not used to using. So for example, when I would ask our teachers, you know, how often do you say you matter? Yeah. You know, I don't yeah, know. If the yeah. Right. Right. I'm at the door every day when they come in. Right. Yes. But if you do that and this, right. So that's, I think the challenge for coaches is if they've already created in their professional life, a language that they're using, and it's not inclusive of language that is built around developing these skill sets like self-management and self-awareness and social awareness, yeah. um, that, that's, that's what's the hard part, is to change our habitual language so that it's more inclusive and even broader than, than we spoke before. And and that's why I like to ground things in that council framework um, and build yeah. off of some of those competencies. You could build that common language among your whole football staff, right? Yeah. What yeah. are the things we're going to use this year? Every year, it could be, hey, we're going to talk about those, you know, these two things, right? right. Um, and and then let's, hey, these four ways that we're going to do it, and let's all lean into this. And that that's that's it. It's not rocket science, but it has to be. I use this acronym called TIP all the time with our teachers. It has to be thoughtful, intentional, and purposeful for it to work. And once you do that and you're committed to doing that, then it's just spinning that plate and collecting data, exit tickets, observational data, talking to students. Hey, did you, you know, are we on the same page about why you, you need to come to practice every day? It's not a discipline thing. 
right. this is what we're talking about, right? It's, right, right. it's you're a part of this team. And by being a part of the team, being here and and seeing you in these all these different roles is what's helping us get to the next place. That's explicit. Yeah, it is. That's good. Not just, hey, you need to show up because everyone else is here. We that's all have faith for you, right? right, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I, I would say, again, to any coaches who are listening, who might like, you know, we sometimes will advise that folks do that. And if they can't make it a daily habit, uh, still frame, frame your own approach explicitly for the young people where appropriate and as often as is appropriate. And, and, and it reminds me of the, uh, the example you used of being at the door. Maybe it's not totally natural to say, I love you, you matter, you know, every day. But if you're there at the door, I wonder if that same teacher or coach or whatever the setting is could periodically just say, hey, I just want to slow things down and share with you all. Here's why I'm at the door every day. It's because you matter. And this is sort of my way of showing it. You know, we all you know, love languages and, and then the way we express things. They don't have to get into that. But but this is why I'm at the door. It's because I care. It's because you matter. And if I forget to say it, here's what that gesture means for me. You know, and sometimes that will, will resonate if, if, if it can't become routine, but. Right. And I don't, and I, I don't mean to impose a stereotype, but um, I think for some people in athletics, um, physicality has outweighed sort of emotional um, responses. Right. And, and I don't, I hope that's still not true. Um, I hope that, you know, the language, emotional language is growing in sport. And I think that that might be that, that again, that hard part to switch is we're not, we're not just here for kids to implicitly teach them life skills through explicit descriptions around what their bodies should be doing at a certain point in time. right? Right. It's, it has to be both the emotional language and the language about the sport and, and what you need to be doing to be successful in it. Right. You're so right. And, and, and again, you know, for coaches who want to pick it up, even little bits here and there saying things like, here's why this matters. So if you're constantly correcting technique and form and all that, here's why this matters and talk about, uh, we're looking, we use this in, you know, the bulk of my work happens in strength and conditioning actually. Um, so we try to develop what we call a physical self-awareness. You know, you can put in the proprioception, kinesthetic awareness, but we use the term self-awareness as often as we can to create a, a very quick road into the, the more, you know, the, the sort of self-awareness that could be applied anywhere. But in this moment, let's be really aware of, of our joint positioning, how we're stacking our joints and our posture and things like this. Can we develop self-awareness? Now, how does that interact with the person next to you? Is this more of a relational component? Why does each piece of this matter? Um, you know, we sometimes will say everything that you're doing, coach, in, in, the, in the realm of discipline, could we frame it um, in self-management? You know, it, here's it. And, and then every so often, let like me say, just little drops of, and here's why this is important. You know, self-management means X, Y, and Z. Here's how it fits into a greater landscape. Um, anyway, I, so. I think if, you know, again, it, speaking to coaches who are just really starting this work or thinking about integrating this into their work with students, <clears throat> if you go to the Castle website, 
C-A-S-E-L.org. Um, they have their framework. It's on two pieces of paper, actually. The front is the, the, the round framework where you'll see like a circle with their five competencies identified. But on the back is each of those competencies broken down with a definition and then indicators. And hmm. so again, if you're talking about self-management or self-awareness already, if you're using those terms with your students and you know those are important skills to develop, if you look at the indicators underneath, it can expand your language. So for example, right. I'm looking right. at the self-management one right now, you were talking about self-management. You know, One of the, the indicators is how well you can manage your emotions. Right now. Think about sports and emotions in high school students. I mean, hello, right? Right. Well, like, and I think that's what everyone who, who's in it, what, what they pick up on is that like, yeah, teaching this young person to manage their emotions in the midst of chaos, there might not be a better environment to do it. You know, it, you know intensity exactly. is almost automatically up. However, like we've said, and this is kind of a nice, you know, almost full circle, but like, but it's not happening automatically. It, 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 the, the platform is, is perfectly set up for you to teach this skill of emotion regulation in this moment, but, but you ought to be explicit about it. And it's not just about avoiding a 15 yard penalty. Yeah, that's, right. Exactly. So anyway, the, um, all right. So, so here's where we're at. We probably have to pause for today, but what I'm recognizing is that, um, if you are open to it at all, that we, I'd love to have you back on again, because this is a conversation that can continue um, in depth. Um, I could talk about it all day, Jim. I love it. So um, what, what do we say? I'll say this. Thank you very sincerely for the work that you're doing, for spending time with, with us today and with our audience, you know, for your approach and for your insights. So, you know, I, I, there's no question. I don't care if you, if you, been in the field or you look for research backing to all of it there's no question that what you're doing matters significantly in the lives of young people so thank well, you same, same to you jim and thanks for having me and i know we follow each other on twitter so people can maybe find my handle and um, that's right what's the best what's the best way to get in contact probably, well my handle is at molly gosline um so you can look that up but i'm also at stevenson high school um so you can reach out to me um there. And um, again, hey, visit our school if you're interested <laughs> um, to really learn more about what we're doing. But I think, you know, there's a broader, there's a broader message here um, outside of us of one school that, oh, yeah. uh, that this work can live in many places, as long as again, you, you kind of uh, think about the process and you watch in which you want to approach this work with the students that you work with. And so, Yes, I think, you know, a, a conversation around, you know, some of the more specifics, especially as they align with the competencies and, and how, how teams can use them or um, different um, leaders um, would be great. And so, again, thank you so much for including me in this conversation. Well, I, I think we, we have to do it. And thank you. Uh, we will be in touch soon. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. 
They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E, print, P-R-I-N-T, dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E, print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.